So we're coming today to the second in an eight-part series on the epistle of James. And the series title is Faith That Works. Do we have that? Uh, well, take my word for it. There it is, Faith That Works. And as John said in his introduction last week, we can understand that in two different ways. In the first place, it's faith that works. It actually works for us. It, it's saving faith. And one of James's concerns is to help us understand the nature of genuine faith. Um, as we'll see, I'm sure, next week, and I don't want to steal any of John's material, but there's an apparent contradiction between what James says about faith and justification in chapter 2 and our beloved Pauline doctrine of justification by faith alone, which is why, uh, among others, Martin Luther took a very dim view of the book of James. He famously called it an epistle of straw, and he didn't want to have much to do with it, but Luther was a, a little bit over the top, maybe. Um, and that's hard for me to say, because I love Martin Luther. Uh, so the nature of genuine faith, the great uh, 19th century Calvinist preacher Charles H. Spurgeon once said that faith that doesn't change your behavior will never change your destiny. Genuine faith, faith that works, and faith that works, that actually does something. Uh, so that's uh, the overall uh, theme of the series, uh, and that's kind of the heart of the epistle of James. And today, we're going to look at not faith, but a different subject, religion. And uh, James addresses that. It's the kind of work that faith does at the end of chapter one. So let's listen. The word of the Lord from James chapter one verses 19 through 27. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Sarah. So we're looking at the last few verses of James chapter 1. And uh, if you have a Bible or want to open the one in front of you, that would be helpful perhaps. If not, okay. Um, We may get to see it on the screen. I don't know. I didn't give any cues to the tech staff, so I'm not much of a tech guy, you know. I, I learned to preach before we ever had screens and PowerPoint and all that stuff, so. So, religion. Let me just tell you where I'm going with this as I follow James' thought, James' argument. Uh, first, the basis for our religion. Secondly, false religion described by James. And finally, true religion defined. So those are, that's, that's the outline. But before uh, I dive into that, perhaps we should pause and talk a little bit about this word religion. Because I don't know about you, but religion is slightly off-putting to me uh, in a sense. You, you know, to me, so often, religion is the word that people use when they don't want to talk about Jesus. So I, I, there was a, an incident some years ago. We had a neighbor who was an atheist, and you know, we made an attempt to befriend him, and uh, especially after he lost his wife, and uh, you know, Betty Jo brought a meal over, and, and then she bought a copy of Tim Keller's Reason for God. So we went and knocked on his door and thought maybe we could have a conversation, maybe we could build a relationship a little. He was a reader, he was kind of a thoughtful person, and we offered him this book and he said, no thanks, I'm not really interested in religion. And I wanted to say, I don't want to talk about religion, I want to talk about Jesus, I want to talk about grace, I want to talk about the gospel, fundamental questions. No, it's, it's religion. Or the now hackneyed phrase, I'm spiritual but not religious. What that actually means is, I don't like Christianity. Of course they're religious. Everybody's religious. Everyone has some kind of religion. It may be veganism or the cult of physical fitness or the worship of nature and the out of doors, but it's a religion. Because religion is how we organize our lives on the basis of our fundamental beliefs, our most basic beliefs about the world, about the universe, about God or not. Calvin famously, Calvin, not the university, I'm talking about the guy. John Calvin famously titled his magnum opus, his great theological treatise that he spent 20 years expanding and developing, The Institutes of the Christian Religion. Interesting, not Institutes of the Christian Faith, Institutes of the Christian Religion. This is the whole story. And he says early on in the Institutes, uh, some things about religion. Religion, he says, is born of piety. And piety, he defines as 
that reverence joined with love of God, which the knowledge of his benefits induces. Reverence and love for God, which you feel when you come to understand who God is and what he's done. God is everything. Everything we have and are, we owe to God. Life, being, salvation, uh, happiness, health, eternal life. It's all from God. And when you understand that, when you come to apprehend God, who he is and what he's done for you, and what he is doing and what he will do, you naturally feel piety, a, a love and a reverence for him develops in you, and that leads you to obedience, to religion, to service, to worship. So religion is a good word, and James wants us to understand it here in a famous passage. Uh, so let's begin then by looking at the basis of religion, and I'm looking now at uh, verse 19. 19 through 21. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. So be quick to listen, slow to speak. That sounds a little bit like advice our parents gave us, right? That's sort of the proverbial. That's why you have two, two ears and only one mouth. You should listen more than you talk. Uh, as the fellow said uh, that I ran across a saying somebody, of somebody recently, uh, I often got in trouble for opening up my mouth, but never for keeping it shut. <laughs> or as we would say today, uh, you often get in trouble for firing your thumbs and hitting send, don't you? But not for letting it go. So it sounds like proverbial wisdom. But notice the context. What is James referring to when he says we've got to be quick to listen and slower to speak? He's talking about listening to the word. So verse 18 the end of the previous section of James. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. The word gives us life. It regenerates us. It's the word of truth. That's what he says uh, immediately after. Now be quick to listen. And he ends this passage with a reference also to the word so get rid of moral filth and the evil that's so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. The word not only regenerates us, it saves us in the end. It's implanted because we've heard it, we've listened to it, we've read it, we've marked it, we've inwardly digested it, we've memorized it. And that's the basis for all of our religion. Uh, Betty Jo and I drove out to see our youngest in Washington, D.C., and we sometimes listen to 
podcasts or lectures, you know how you do that. And we listened again to an old lecture uh, delivered by J.I. Packer, the wonderful, uh, great, late great J.I. Packer. He died about a year ago in his 90s. Uh, in which, in the course of this address, he listed 10 things that he thought every Christian should know and understand. He called it his syllabus for adult catechesis, for the instruction of Christians. These are the t- and number one was the authority of the Bible. Because this is the crucial question. Do we accept the authority of Scripture as what we just said we did? Our only rule of faith and practice. The Bible stands over us and we submit to it because we believe it's God's Word in written form. Not just the words of men, of human authors, although it is that. Not that it doesn't have difficult things to grasp and struggle with and figure out exactly what it is telling us. But that when all is said and done, if we understand what the Bible is saying, then we're committed to believing it and obeying it. Issue number one. Maybe not the most important of all Christian things to believe, but certainly the most fundamental, because everything flows from this, one way or another. If we agree on this, then we can hammer out together what it's saying. If we don't agree, then what's the point? Really. Uh, Because we're operating under different authorities. Some of us under the authority of Scripture, others under our own personal truth. So, James says, what you listen to, what you humbly accept, humbly. We have to submit ourselves and stand under the authority of the word. Um, Let me just digress for a moment, a few moments, if I could, and tell you why I believe in the authority of the Bible. First, because this is Scripture's view of itself. Paul famously says that all Scripture is inspired by God. God breathed. It comes from God ultimately, not just from its human authors. Secondly, because Jesus believed in the authority of the Bible, and I kind of like to try to follow Jesus as best I can. So he famously says in the Sermon on the Mount, I did not come to abolish the law by which he meant the whole of the old. I came to fulfill it. Uh, Three times in Matthew 4 in the temptation narrative, he rebukes Satan by quoting scripture, quoting, it is written from the book, book of Deuteronomy each time. And finally, when he comes to the end and he faces the cross, and he tells his disciples, look, you don't have to try to defend me. <laughs> I, I, I can get out of this like that. I mean, I call 12 legions of angels. Heck, one would have been enough. He didn't even need the angels. But he said, if I did that, how could the scriptures be fulfilled? He saw his death, his passion, 
as inevitable in order to fulfill the scriptures. They had to be fulfilled. So this is Jesus' view. Thirdly, I believe that the Bible is God's word for the same reason I'm a Christian, because we live in a world where a resurrection happened. Jesus actually rose from the dead, and therefore the apostolic testimony to that fact gives them also authority and credibility as they unpack the apostles, the meaning and implications of the resurrection. Paul makes this point negatively in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, if Christ hasn't been raised, then we've been misrepresenting God. Don't listen to us. But the converse is true, isn't it? If he has been raised, then we better listen to them because they're the authorized witnesses who transform uh, and transfer to us the meaning of the gospel. Here's a fourth reason. Am I, <laughs> am I piling things on a little bit here? Forgive me. Um, ultimately, the reason we believe in the authority of the Bible is because of what Calvin calls the inward testimony of the Holy Spirit. See, it's, it's not just objective evidence out there, historical, it happened, Jesus rose. It's inward and subjective as well. So Calvin has a, a wonderful passage where he talks about this and says, um, the testimony of the Spirit is more excellent than all reason. For as God alone is a fit witness of himself in his word, so also the word will not find acceptance in men's hearts before it is sealed by the inward testimony of the Spirit. The same Spirit, therefore, who has spoken through the mouths of the prophets must penetrate into our hearts to persuade us that they faithfully proclaimed what had been divinely commanded. So you're never going to convince somebody that the Bible is the Word of God apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, just, just as you won't argue anybody into faith, uh, period. I remember uh, one of the first meetings of the Words of Hope Board of Trustees that I attended. I was a member of the board then, uh, long before I had any thoughts of ever going to work there. And one of the trustees, a, a very wise and respected elder, just said in the course of our conversation, you know, in my experience, sooner or later, everybody's got to decide whether or not they believe the Bible. <laughs> that stuck with me. It's so basic. Sooner or later, you're all going to have to decide one way or the other. Do you believe the Bible? It's the basis of our faith. It's the basis of our religion. So then, moving on. False religion described, which is what James does next. And by false religion, I don't mean non-Christian religions. That's neither here nor there. What he's talking about is false versions of the Christian religion. People who are pretty sure they are Christians, but actually they're fooling themselves. Twice in this, I don't know if you picked up on it, he uses the word deceived. 
They're deceived. So, verse 22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And then uh, a little bit later, in verse uh, 20, these numbers are too small for me. Uh, verse 28, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Bogus religion for Christians now. Two different ways it expresses itself. The first, by hearing without doing. You think it's enough? Yes, we start with listening. We start with hearing the word, but we don't end there. You have to go on and do it. Last week, John alluded to Jesus' uh, metaphor or story for hearing without doing. It's building your house on sand. It won't stand the storm. James uses a different metaphor, equally uh, engaging and arresting, the metaphor of a mirror. So hearing the word without obeying it, without putting it into practice, is like looking into a mirror and then ignoring what you see there. You get the point. The mirror is an objective standard. The mirror tells us the truth. It's not a portrait that can be artistically enhanced to flatter. <laughs> it's not even a photograph that can be doctored in various ways to look you, make you look better. A mirror tells you the brutal, honest truth, which is why many of us prefer not to look at mirrors, especially as we grow older. But how absurd it would be to look at the mirror without acting on the information that it gives you. Oh, that's interesting. It looks like I got a big glob of goo on my chin here. Good to know that. Oh, well, got to run. <laughs> it is laughable, isn't it? Equally laughable is to read the scriptures. As James says, to look into the perfect law. To look intently into the perfect law. And then not do what it says. So, hearing without doing, bogus religion. And here's the second form that can take. It's talk without transformation. So keep a tight rein on your tongue, James says, if you want to consider yourself religious. Keep a tight rein on your tongue. James has a lot to say about the tongue, a lot to say about language. I won't get into that, save that for chapter 3. Um, but here, especially, I'm thinking of religious talk. It's pretty easy to talk the talk if you're somebody who's a churchgoer. Uh, we stand and we recite the words of the creed. I'm not sure we always think about them as we recite them, but we recite them. We sing the songs, sing praise songs. Um, but be careful. <laughs> Be careful that it's not all just talk. Now you have to forgive me. 
for turning uh, to one of my favorite books, Pilgrim's Progress, and Bunyan's great character, Talkative. You know, one of the things that makes a Pilgrim's Progress so great, honestly, the language, yeah, but it's a little King Jamesian for today's taste, but, uh, but the, uh, the keen eye that Bunyan has for religious hypocrisy, for acting the part or talking the part without its reality taking root in our lives. So here's talkative as he appears to Christian and faithful along the way. I will talk of things heavenly or things earthly, things moral or things evangelical, things sacred or things profane, things past or things to come, things foreign or things at home, things more essential or things circumstantial. And faithful is kind of impressed. Wow, this guy's really, you know, he's theological. But Christian knows him better. And Christian says this about him. Religion hath no place in his heart or house or conversation. That means behavior back in that day. In his behavior. All he hath lieth in his tongue and his religion is to make a noise therewith. I have been in his family and have observed him both at home and abroad, and I know what I say of him is the truth. His house is as empty of religion as the white of an egg is of savor. That's talkative. Talk without transformation, without real change. So these are the, the ways that we can fool ourselves into thinking our Christian religion is real. Whereas the reality, James says, is like this. And so he comes to his famous definition of the religion that God approves and accepts and is looking for in verse uh, 27. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. To look after widows and orphans in their distress. In other words, to actively seek not just justice, but compassion and assistance to the dependent, uh, to the undefended, to the have-nots of society. There's a marvelous passage toward the end of the book of Job where Job describes his own character and actions. Job is testified to as the most righteous man in all the East. There's no question. The whole point of Job is that Job didn't deserve what he was getting because he was religious. And Job says this, Whoever heard me spoke well of me, and those who saw me commended me because I received the poor who cried for help 
and the fatherless who had none to assist him. The man who was dying blessed me, and I, was, uh, and I made the widow's heart sing. I put on righteousness as my clothing. Justice was my robe and my turban. I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy. I took up the case of the stranger. I broke the fangs of the wicked and snatched the victims from their mouth. That's religion. That's the kind of religion that God finds pure. Well, at least it's one part of it. James isn't exhaustive in his definition of religion. What's interesting is what he omits. Everything that we would say is religion. <laughs> he doesn't say anything about prayer or worship or singing or Bible reading, which is not to say those aren't part of it. It's just that he wants to focus our attention on two things. And the first is how we act on behalf of the powerless. And the second is our own inward purity. Because he adds, the other part of true religion is to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Isn't it interesting? You see the symmetry and the balance here? One social action, the other personal holiness. One outward looking and acting, the other inward and more defensive. One beloved by the left, the other by the right. And James says, it's both. It's both. We must engage the world, absolutely, going out into it. We also must guard against the world, lest it enter as it so easily does these days. It attacks us through our eyes and through our ears, and it pollutes us. So, as I used to say back in the day when I was still doing weddings, <laughs> what God has joined together, let no one put asunder. This is true religion. Let me just add a postscript. We're not saved by our religion. Thank God for that. Because we all fail every day in both ways. We fail to do and we fail to guard. But what are you going to do? Are you going to reject the mirror? Or are you going to repent, take a good look, get up, and get after it again tomorrow? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Pray with me. Lord, we praise and bless you for your word, which not only shows us the way of life, but the way to live. And so we pray for grace to accept, humbly accept, and to hear and do, and believe and behave and act. We pray it all for the glory of your name. Amen.